Surrounding these parallel systems are the eight directions, namely east, west, north, south, northeast, southeast, northwest, and southwest. Loka Loka Mountain has been established as the outer boundary of all the Lokas to distribute the rays of the sun and other luminaries equally throughout the universe. This little description of how the rays of the sun are distributed throughout the different planetary systems of the universe is very scientific. Sukadev Goswami described these universal affairs to Maharaj Parishit as he had heard about them from his predecessor. He explained these facts 5,000 years ago, but the knowledge existed long, long before because Shukadev Goswami received it through disciplic succession. Because this knowledge is accepted throughout the disciplic succession, it is perfect. The history of modern science, scientific knowledge, on the contrary, does not go back more than a few hundred years. Therefore, even if modern scientists do not accept the other factual presentations of Srimad Bhagavatam, how can they deny the perfect astronomical calculations that existed long before they could imagine such things? There is so much information to gather from Srimad Bhagavatam. Modern scientists, however, have no information of other planetary systems and indeed are highly conversant with the planet on which we are now living. Bharat Varsha, which as we know 
place where we located that we can see or perceive. But in those days, it was called Ajnab Varsha, and it was given the name Bharat Varsha after his great son Maharaj Bharat. So in this way, the, the geography that was created by Maharaj Priyavrata, it, it is now in place, and we perceive some of it, and we do not perceive some of it. So all this was created, and then Apanjali coming up to give you study the different um, dvipas and how the residents of those dvipas live, what do they do, what do they engage in, and this brings us to this verse where there is mention of the local local mountain. So now uh, there is the last dvip, uh, the last uh, island was Pushkar dvip. The ring like the outermost ring was of the island was Pushkar dvip. Now Pushkar dvip, as we understand, is the uh, is the Manusatan mountain. Now that mountain is where it is mentioned that above that mountain is where the sun god travels. He travels in his chariot giving light to the entire universe. National Prabhupada mentions there is only one sun in every universe and that gives light to all the floating planetary systems in that universe. So, and this sun is on the mountain on Pushkaradvi. Now beyond Pushkaradvi is the ocean of fresh water. And beyond that, as is mentioned in, in the verses that we did today, is a golden ring which means there is an island which is made of purely gold and anything that falls on that island, it is just, it is lost in, from what, what is explained here. Basically what it means is that it is very reflective and nobody lives there on that island. And then beyond that is the Loka Loka mountain, Loka Aloka, it is made of two words, Loka Aloka mountain. So this mountain, it is mentioned, it is like the outer boundary or it is the outer border of Bhumandala. And as Shilapupada explains, beyond this there is no light. And this mountain is so tall, it is a circular mountain that goes so high up that it goes up to Dhruvaloka. And because it is that high, so then the sun, the light of the sun and all other luminaries within this universe doesn't go beyond this mountain, beyond the local local mountain. That's why it's called loka, means where people are living and all over where nobody is living because it is too dark the other side of this mountain, so nobody lives on the other side. So Srila Prabhupada mentions also how Traya, Loka Traya, which he says related to Bhubhavaswana. So this um, universe is broadly divided into these um, categories as we had read before in chapters also. So then Bhuloka is actually the Bhumandala. Bhumandala is the, the seven islands, the seven oceans. So that is Bhumandala going up to the Antariksh, which is the space. So that part is called Bhumandala. And then from that Antariksha up to the moon is called Bhuvar, Loka. And so, who lives in the Bhulok and Bhuvalok? So, Bhuloka is all of us. We are the living entities. But mind you, we only occupy one territory of it, which is the Bharatvarsha. And the rest of it is called Bhomaswarga, which is not perceivable by our material senses in the present day and age. Of course, elevated personalities um, could see it, could actually visit it, because it is mentioned that even. Um, Arjuna and Maharaj Vishnu, 
even they have travelled up to Guru Varsha, which is the northernmost Varsha of this Bhumandala. And, um, and the Shri Maharaj also travelled to all these Varshas. So they, they had access to it. And then we you know, also know the pastime of how Bhimsan, uh, he actually he meets Hanuman. Um, uh, Lord Hanuman, he meets Bhimsan, uh, and then Bhimsan is actually asking Hanuman, saying, you, you move your tail so I can go, I can cross, I can move, I can go ahead. And then Hanumanji doesn't do that, and then they have the conversation, and Hanumanji uh, blesses Bhimsan. So that pastime actually happened in Kim Purusha which is the one beyond Himalayas, on the other side, the next Varsha above us, above Bharat Varsha, is the Kim Purusha Varsha where Lord Hanuman resides there and he is worshipping Lord Ram. So that's how these personalities, even up to 5000 years back, they had access to different Varshas within the, in the Bhumandala. So it is said from here to uh, Antariksha is Bhur Loka and then from Antariksha to Moon is Bhuvar Loka. And who lives here? So it is mentioned that you know this area is mostly um, with uh, the inhabitants are the Kinaras, Kandharvas and uh, Siddhas, Charanas. Usually you hear how, how they expert in singing and when a lot of Krishna's pastimes would happen, they would shower flowers. So these are the ones, the, the closest to us in terms of you know the other planets. Then beyond there, like just above the moon, up to Dhruva Loka, are the, um, is called, it is called the Swar Loka. So, and there we have all these other planets like Jupiter, Mars, Saturn, um, all these Venus, all these planets are um, that part. So, they are called the heavenly planets. So, Bhu, Bhuvar and Swar. So, these three Lokas, and then beyond that are the, the planets of the sages, Janaloka, Tapaloka, Mahaloka, Satyaloka. They are the planets of the sages. So all these planets are, um, they are, so the whole you know, floating planetary systems is in this way designed by the, um, by the supreme will of the Lord. Because it is, as it is mentioned clearly, by the supreme will of Krishna, the mountain known as Loka Loka has been installed as the outer border of the three worlds. So everything happens by the will of the Lord. So we might wonder that at this stage, um, this, these descriptions are given by Sukadev Goswami to Maharaj Parishit, right? So Maharaj Parishit, he is right now, his days are numbered. He has been cursed by um, the Brahman version that he's going to die in seven days. A takshat bird or a snake bird is going to bite him and he's going to die in seven days. So then one might wonder why is Sukadev Goswami narrating these past, these, you know, the structure of the universe to Parishit Maharaj, he should be focusing on, uh, you know, he's trying to remember Krishna. So is that goal being met by, by when Sukhdev Goswami is describing the structure of the universe to Maharaj Parishit? So the idea is that Maharaj Parishit, he retreated from his kingdom. When he came to know that he has been cursed, he retreated from his kingdom and he uh, went to the bank of the river and all the sages also who found out that uh, this curse has been given to such a great king, they also, um, they came there, they were concerned about him. And Shukdev Goswami also was there and they were helping him remember Krishna. And how are they helping him remember Krishna? And how is this pastime or the mention of the narration of the universe helping him? So Chaitanya Chaitanya explains this very nicely. He says, 
Shukri Goswami has mentioned in Shrimad Bhagavatam the Leelas of the Lord, right? The incarnations of the Lord, Varahari, Nashinali, different incarnations of the Lord. And then he has also mentioned um, the devotees of the Lord, such as Dhruva Maharaj, Prahlad Maharaj, and their spiritual journeys, how some of them were pure from the very beginning, how some of them had mixed devotion, like um, Dhruva Maharaj, and how some of the sages, sometimes some of them failed the first time, and then when they tried again, and then they moved on in their spiritual journeys. So in this way, all these have been described. So the avatars of the Lord and the devotees of the Lord. And the third thing he explains is that has been described is the analysis of matter. How to understand Krishna? By analysis of matter. And he says that this, this falls in the category, the Vedic cosmology that has been mentioned here also falls in the same category. So and you know, as we see that even in second canto, there is a mention of the uh, the Virat Rupa of the Lord. Now, Virat Rupa of the Lord is not a reality, it is a symbolic representation where the, the features in the nature are, are, are compared to the body of the Lord. They are equivalent to, so for example, the mountains are considered to, the, to be the bones of the Lord. So like that, so different parts of the nature are compared to the body of the Lord and that, uh, in that way, so as one appreciates nature, they try to also appreciate the creator of the nature. So from matter, in studying matter and in analyzing matter, we move to spirit or the creator of the nature. So in this way, we appreciate the intelligent design created by the Supreme Lord. And then again, as we see that in Canto um, 3, there is a detailed um, narration by Supreme Goswami of the um, of the Sankhya philosophy. The Sankhya philosophy is also uh, the analysis of the uh, the material elements, right? So, someone who cannot take to devotional service, to whom bhakti doesn't come naturally, and who, you know, by appreciating the the, the phenomena in nature, they may take to uh, spirituality. So, there also, if one may analyze matter, they may think, okay, we are not um, the earth, we are not the fire, we are not the water, we are not the five elements. Then I'm not this mind, and I'm not the five senses. I'm not. So then, what? I'm the twenty-fifth element. I'm the soul. So in this way, when you analyze matter, you can actually disintegrate and come to conclusion what you actually are. So in this way, your spiritual journey begins. So likewise, Vedic cosmology also mentioned. He mentioned is in the same category where you actually study this superbly intelligent design that's created by the Lord. And then you actually start to wonder that to, to create a small thing in this material world, we all have experience, it takes so much effort, it takes so much resources. And then somebody who's put all this design in place, it must be somebody extremely intelligent, a supreme person. So in this way, Chaitanya Shankarabhu mentions that we understand that um, the, you know, by, by studying matter, by studying this geography, the structure of the universe, we come to this conclusion that the Lord, what the Lord has created is an intelligent design and we try to focus on a mind on the creator of this uh, universe. And then another aspect that he mentioned comes out of all these chapters and relations is that if we see on all these three parts, the residents, what are they mostly doing? 
You see, they are mostly engaged in uh, doing their dharma, their duty, right? There is no mention that they are pursuing some pleasure activities or they are pursuing some some occupations or profession or something like that. But then, what are they doing? They are all they like every um, like every island has like a deity, worship every deity, like the sun god, the moon god, you know, Vayu, Agni, and they are all engaged in doing their duties. So what does this show us that dharma pervades the entire Bhumandala. Like all the residents of all the islands, what are they doing? They are engaged in service of the Lord. And another um, interesting point that comes out here is that the more surrendered they are to the Supreme Lord, the more facilities, material facilities they have at their disposal, but the thought to use them for their personal sentences gratification doesn't come to them. So they're using these in the service of the Lord. And also if you look at all the other um, territories of Jambudvipa, like different like Jinkursha, Varsha, Harigarsha, all the residents, they are engaged in uh, serving the Lord, some of some form of the, in some form they worshiping the Supreme Lord, like Harigarsha Pranat Maharaj is worshiping Nashina Devagwan, Kimpursha Varsha Lord Maharaj is worshiping Elavata Varsha Lord Shiva and his associates are worshiping Lord Sankarshan. So in this way, even within Jambulvi, looks like we are the only few unfortunate ones who is pushed to the southmost corner because <laughs> we deserve to be in the corner because of what we are. So, you know, and we are the only ones who are sort of not engaged in serving the Lord. Otherwise, the main trade, profession, occupation, interest of all the residents of all the other, you know, um, areas in Jambudweep is just to serve the Lord in their capacity. So this is another um, important aspect that we, this is the main point that we need to get out of these, this study as well of the universe, that it is their devotion, that dharma pervades the whole universe and that is the main point, engage in service of the Lord, do your duties, and like Srila Prabhupada always mentions that there is a principle, the scriptures give us a principle and they give us a detail. So when we have you know, details, we should not become lost in the details so much that we lose sight of the bigger picture or that we forget the principle. You know, like for example, in um, a lot of temples we have, there is shortage of um, devotees who can do you know, deity worship. So they may not do an opulent worship like we do in our temple, seven offerings and our so many artists, they may do just four or five. But the idea is that you engage in the Lord, in the service of the Lord. And similarly also I remember, I think I heard that once that there was a devotee, he, he couldn't chant with his right hand, there was some problem. So then Devadun Maharaj asked him to chant, chant with his left hand. So you might think we always chant with the right hand, left hand is considered muchi. But what's the higher principle? The higher principle is that we must chant the holy names of the Lord. So, yena tena prakarena, samhava another, engage yourself in the service of the Lord. So then in that way, he started chanting even with the left hand, but he was following the main principle that engaging in chanting the holy names of the Lord. So in this way, the whole idea of the pastime is here that, uh, that we understand that the, all the residents of this Bhumandala are doing something that we should become inspired by and we should also follow. And another point that is interesting is that if you see in all these residents, you know, the every chapter generation of Deepas, a lot of verses actually are nothing but praise.
players by these residents to their deities. You know, there is a mention of, of course, geography as well around it because, you know, just as, you know, for example, Prabhupada traveled to so many countries, right? And he traveled to New York, he traveled to other places, trying to start the Krishna consciousness movement in so many places. So, in doing so, when in the Yamrata we see, it is the, the geography of the place, the little bit location, names of the cities, where did he go? The little bit geography is mentioned. But that does not mean that that is the main focus of Vilanarpa. The main focus of Vilanarpa is to help us understand how Srila Prabhupada went to different places, went through so many struggles and he preached Krishna consciousness. So similarly, when we understand this section of Bhagavatam, we need to understand that we need to feel um, inspired by the devotion and by the um, and completely selfless devotion as it is mentioned by the, um, the residents of these three parts and not just get bogged down by the detail of how we do. We actually don't understand. A lot of it is actually uh, mentioned but it is not, um, you can't really understand fully. Maybe leave that to the, those who are more have a technical mind or want to go deep into this. But the main principle is that we understand that they are all engaged in devotion to the Supreme Lord in some way or the other. And that is also the point that Maharaj Parikshit also is asking this question. The main idea was that he wanted to ask was how do I remember Krishna by understanding the structure of the universe? How can that help me understand Krishna? How that can that help me remember Krishna? And then also the main principle also we need to understand that eventually the whole universe of this beautiful creation that we see is also working under the Lord's direction. Krishna clearly says in Bhagavad-gita, Maya Dakshina Pradevi Sulpe Satcharacharam Hetunani Nakantya Jagadhipari Vartate This material energy of mind is working under my direction. He clearly mentions it. So, one who can understand this, understands who is the Supreme Absolute behind the scenes, putting all this in place. And also, in, in, in chapter 15, there is a lot of mention of, you know, of how the moon, the sun, for example, here, Krishna said, uh, so how he mentions that the sun provides light to all the planets within the uh, Loka Loka mountain, but does not go beyond. And in chapter 15, also text 12, where Krishna himself says, This is yet Aditya Gatam Kejam, Jagadhasati Ahilam, yet Chindramasati Yacharnam, Tat Kejo Vithi Mamukam. He says the splendor of the sun that dissipates the darkness of this uh, world comes from me and the splendor of the moon and fire also comes from me. So in this way, the Lord is very kind. You see, one thing is that in spite of the fact that those of us who are here in this material world, we are here because we were, we wanted to enjoy separately from Krishna. Right? Our desires are not aligned with the desires of the and yet, the Lord is so kind that He created such a perfect uh, facility for us. There is ample supply of fresh air, there is ample supply of water, there is ample supply of all the fruits and vegetables and varieties, right? And yet, He, you know, for what we have, He actually corrupted it, you know, manipulating in the process of trying to manipulate it and gain more, He actually corrupted it and polluted it. And then we are also, the things that he gave us for free, the land, the water, the rivers, the mountains, you know, everything that he, we have started charging for that, right? Now to get light, we have to pay, we need electricity, and for, we need to pay an electricity bill. Now just imagine if Krishna wants to say, okay, for all the time that I have given you the 
leave me till now, all days. Now you pay me the bill. I've given you the sunlight every day. We took it for granted, right? That nobody's going to ask us for the, the bill. What if we had to pay? And the moonlight at night, you know, the days and nights, the way he's made the seasons, how he's written everything. But he never asks for anything in that sense. And then also how Srila Prabhupada explains that even the planets, he says, like, you know, in the second image, in Bhagavad Gita, also in 15 chapter text, 30, he says, Gama Vishay, he says, Krishna says, I enter into each and every planet, keeping them in orbit. They stay in their orbit, and I provide the, as the moon, I provide the juice in all the vegetables. Now, what does he mean by that? See, it's, it's interesting that the, the moonlight, it provides all the flavors. Now, how does the moonlight know when it falls on a mango tree that the mango should taste like a mango and not like an orange? Right? But how do the rays of the moon know? So this is, isn't that an, an if we delve deeper into these topics, we study the nature in, um, in detail and we reflect upon it. How do the moon rays know that the, the, the flavor that it has to put in a mango which is different from an orange or an apple? And why do we ever not find that an orange tastes like a mango? Because an orange has been given the flavor of an orange, mango has been given the flavor of the mango. So this is how the moonlight is adding flavors or tastes to different uh, fruits and vegetables. And in the same way, um, you know how when Prabhupada uh, gives an example in, in one of the in speak when he was speaking, he said that to to even if you take the example of a rose, even if you have to draw a rose, it's you need paint brushes, you need colors, you need to mix, and you have to have the right color, the right hues, and then you are able to paint. And still, it does not look as good as the real rose, you know. And he, and and how can you and if can you put fragrance in it? Well, we can put something artificial, but we can't actually make it smell like just. Krishna can make everything smell, give it the original, the unique aroma. So he says, how do you, how do then scientists, you know, they, they claim like the last five years, Prabhupada says the scientists, they do not believe. So he gives an example, he says, the scientists claim that oh, the sun is just a ball, it's a ball, it's a ball, it's made of chemicals and those chemicals are burning, and so there's a fire. So he says, okay, why don't you just put those chemicals together and then make another sun and save all this electricity, you know, how many, how much effort we have to put in to make electricity, there is hydroelectric power, you have to, you know, use, you have to harness the power of the rivers, and there is solar power, and there is wind energy, they are trying to do so many things, because electricity, we say, it says the power is not enough for the needs of the people of this world. So we are trying desperately to find different sources of power, so okay, create another sun if you can. So this is how Srila Prabhupada refutes their arguments that they can actually, you know, they have that this is just this. They, they actually try to minimize the, the divinity of the nature. They actually, the scientists, they try to minimize the, the, the greatness that we find in nature. But just say, oh, this is just a lump of, you know, it's just a lump of chemicals. This is matter, this is a lump of chemicals. We can put it together and create. And like, this is how Prabhupada also challenges. He says, you, you say that, you know, with the protein, you can make uh, life comes from matter. So we can just put some proteins together, put some chemicals together, and there you go, the life is created. So he says, he, <clears throat> okay, well, if you can do this, why don't you try doing it? And then they say, oh, no, it's 
Yeah, they have no answer. They have no answer. So many other questions also, like for example, the scientists they claim, oh, the space is expanding. You know, the outer spaces, there are so many millions of galaxies, satellites, and you know, are there. And the space is constantly expanding. This is what their observations. So one might ask them, where is it expanding into? Is there something else out there, bigger than space, where it is actually expanding into? Where is it going? So they have no answer to that. They are themselves bewildered by a lot of questions, but they will not admit. So Srila Prabhupada, that's why he says, he says this Srimad Bhagavatam, he says there is so much information to gather from Srimad Bhagavatam. Modern scientists, however, have no information of other planetary systems and indeed are hardly conversant with the planet on which we are now living. So in this way, he says that the, the scientists are actually struggling. They, they find something. See, in the Guru's days, it is mentioned that even like the scientists that we had in the old days, they were like Newton, Galileo, they were all there, they were doing scientific research and they were coming up with discoveries, but they were atheists. They believed in God and they believed in the, you know, they were fascinated by the creation of God. And yet, yes, they were doing discoveries and finding things, they were using science for the, you know, for the benefit of mankind, that was there. But slowly and slowly, as you see, the modern scientists actually completely tend to sort of have atheistic view that whatever, can be seen by the naked eye or can be proven by research in the laboratory is true and anything that cannot be perceived by our senses and our mind, it is it doesn't exist, it's not true. So this is which this is what Prabhupada refutes here that this kind of um, observation or this kind of approach is what is not acceptable. And then you know <coughs> it is very easy in one sense want to understand the greatness of God and very difficult also if you don't want to. You know, I just said Srila Prabhupada always gives us the example of the Brahmana and the cobbler. When Narayana goes to the Brahmana who is engaged in ritualistic activities and he he wants to know when he can be liberated. And then Narayana also, you know, he says, okay, when I visit Lord Narayana, I'll let you know what his answer is. And then the cobbler also, he's, he's mending, he's fixing shoes. And then he also asks, can you please ask Lord Narayan, if you're going visiting him, when I will be liberated. So what does Lord Narayan say? He says, this Brahmana, whose nation ritualistic activities will take many, many lifetimes. But this cobbler, he will come back within this lifetime. So when Narayan comes back and provides him these two answers to both of them, then the Brahmana actually gets upset. He said, did you even actually go there? He said, you know, he's taking many lifetimes. How is that possible? So this is how it is. And, you know, and then he, the Narayana, and he says, what was God? He said, no, no, actually, when he said, what was God Narayana? He said, oh, he was threading an elephant to the eye of a needle. And then Brahmana, this is just ridiculous. How is this possible? You see, this is the test of faith to actually think that the Lord can actually thread an elephant in the eye of a needle. But when the same answer was given to that cobbler, he immediately believed it. And then Narayana actually asked him, how do you, how do you believe this, that this can happen? He said, just as this banyan tree, I'm sitting under this banyan tree, and the seed of the tree, all these seeds that are here, they, each one of them actually contains this huge banyan tree. If I put them in the ground, again it will turn into a huge banyan tree. If a seed can contain this huge banyan tree, then why not the Lord thread an elephant to the eye of the needle? Right? 
their perception of God with the limited senses and then they fail again and again. So in this way, Srila Prabhupada tries to explain how we have to always um, rely on the source. He says, like here he says, in the description he says, that we have to get the knowledge from a from disciplic succession. Because this knowledge is accepted to the disciplic succession, it is perfect. You see, because so then that is why Prabhupada also says that it is this is the process of Avaroha Palatamis, from guru to disciple, and from disciple to his disciple, from his disciple. So we pass on the knowledge in the disciplic succession. And in this way, this is the deductive process, which means you are you are putting your faith in a senior authority who has more knowledge than you, who is more realized and then that way you are receiving that knowledge and that moves on. But he says if you want to do follow inductive process, okay I want to test it for myself whether every person on every person in this world is mortal or immortal, you will have to test one, ten thousand, fifty, how that? You can't do the test, you can't test everybody, right? You How many, how many tests can you conduct? So that's why he said, he says that we can't even do that. So that's, he says that then try to give, try to follow that which is perfect, which is given by the scriptures as, and given by the realized souls. So then, Krishna has given us a beautiful nature. He has given us this beautiful divine creation and as we need more and more of this structure of the universe to realize how the rest of it is not even perceivable by us, but it still is there. And then Krishna is not asking for anything in return, yet, although we are the breakaway group, you know, we are that group who said, okay, we, Krishna, we, you, you live in your spiritual world, we want to enjoy separately from you, yet he is kind enough to be, we have created all the possible facilities that we would, have, we would need to live here on this earth. He doesn't ask for anything, but one thing he says, he says even when you are here, just engage in devotional service. Because no matter what you try, the only way you can be happy is by Satyam Kirtayantomam. So in this way, if you engage in devotional service of the Lord, which is also the, the mood of Parikshit Maharaj when he is narrating his, uh, sorry, mood of Sukhadev Goswami when he is narrating his passage to Parikshit Maharaj that, the remembrance of Krishna. Somehow we have to remember Krishna and fix our mind of the Lord. And stop here and ask if there are any questions, questions, comments. Thank you very much. Grandfather Tanki. Jai. 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 Jai.